right, good evening, everybody. If you'll turn your Bibles to Exodus chapters 11 and 12, we're going to try to get through both of those tonight. Exodus 11 and 12. While you're turning there, uh, next week, next Wednesday, is our kickoff for the camp, Wednesday night. So this study will exist, but not in this format. It'll be uh, all the kids from the camp and everything will be in here with us. Um, and it starts at 6 with a potluck, and then we'll start our teaching at 7 or so, or right around there. So uh, next week, a bunch of kids with you, uh, adults together, and it's kind of the kickoff for the camp next week, okay? So that'll be next Wednesday. Um, I think that's it for announcements. If there's anything else, I've already forgotten it since they told me before I walked up here. Um, nothing else, Toby? Okay. I think that's it. So let's pray, and we'll get into the Word. Lord, we thank you for uh, letting us all get together tonight. Um, crazy times we're living in, and it's just so nice to sit at your feet and uh, to learn of you, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit, with the sword of the Spirit, your Word, just kind of, well, just get into our hearts. And Lord, we pray that tonight. Help us to have open and receptive hearts for everything you have for us. Help us to understand your Word. Would you be our teacher and our guide as we go through these next two chapters? And we thank you for them, as these next two chapters really show us a foreshadowing of what your Son would do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. In chapter 11 of Exodus, we're on the 10th plague. There were 10, if you take notes, most of you know them, most of you have colored your Sunday school coloring page, but I'll go through them for you. The first one was the blood in the Nile. The Nile actually turned to blood. The second one was the frogs. Remember that? They were everywhere, including their beds. So you'd slide your feet in, and <laughs> and then when God killed them, he left them there, so they had to heap them up with, like, shovels. Uh, third was the lice. They were on everything and in everything and on everyone. Four were the flies. Fifth was the disease of the livestock. Wiped them all out. Sixth was the boils on everybody. Um, seventh was the hail mingled with fire. Not exactly sure what that means, but there it was. Eight was the locust, and then uh, nine was the darkness. That was kind of the funniest one of them, not funny, uh, strangest one of them, but it was, it was so dark that they could feel it. Um, and then finally tonight, our last one, the last plague that's finally going to release them, is the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ and what he would do uh, on the cross for the sins of the world, okay? So God has been waiting for this. The tenth plague will be the death of the firstborn. Every firstborn, and God will describe that tonight as to how to avoid that. So if you're darkening the door of our church for the first time, welcome. We're glad you're here. I know if you're listening online or watching online, welcome. We're glad you're here. Tonight's study uh, will really focus on a salvation situation. This is a, a time where maybe understanding isn't the most important thing, but believing God at his word that so far, so good, he's shown all nine plagues to be true, wiped out all nine of the Egyptian gods, and as he wipes out this tenth god, touching the son of Pharaoh, who is technically deity, he will show himself to be the only true and living God. And that there is no one else to deal with in this universe other than this true and living God. There are no other gods. And so when God makes the statement that there is no way to get to heaven except by the way of Jesus Christ, we need to believe him at his word. And that's what tonight's teaching will be about. In verse 1, And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, 
it will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speaking now in the hearing of all the people, let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. This 11th chapter is almost a synopsis of what's happened, uh, uh, going over already what's taken place. 12 will actually be the 10th plague. But he's describing what's happened so far. So far, God has shown himself to be strong and that he's going to let you out, but not until I show myself strong, God says. That has to happen. This isn't for the sake of Israel only. This is for the sake of Egypt as well and every other nationality that's housed there in the nation of Egypt, whether that's Ethiopian or Syrian or whoever may be there, the Assyrians and so on. Whoever may be there, this is a ministry to them. The whole world, Egypt is sort of a, well, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the New York City, basically, of the time. There's a, a mix of all different groups of people there. It's funny, if you go to New York City, I took Seth there for his 14-year-old trip. There's segments, there's Little China, and there's, well, there's all of them. <laughs> and if you want to eat the best pizza, you got to go over here. And if you want to eat the best wonton soup, you got to go over here. And although they're all together in this big group, they're all divided into their own ethnicity. Just more comfortable that way. Now, they do blend throughout the day, but when they go home, it's just kind of nice to settle down. We see that here in Egypt. In this place where Pharaoh lives, he's got a mix of people. And God wants the whole world to know who he is, not just these folks. But he is going to use them to show his power and his strength, and that's what's happened so far. It says that by the time you leave here, you're going to be able to ask your neighbor of gold and of silver, and they're going to give it to you just to get rid of you, basically. The nation of Israel is going to find favor in the sight of the Egyptians. The Egyptians have looked down upon the Hebrews, looked down upon their uh, station in Egypt, for 400 years now, 430 actually. And we don't know exactly when that transition took place from Joseph being the number two guy and Egypt having giving them favor from the beginning. That's how it started. But somewhere along the line, that changed between pharaohs. Pharaohs, as they went down the line, decided they don't like the Hebrews as much. They began to look down upon them, shepherds, herders, a bunch of lowlifes. By the time they walk out there, they're going to walk out of kings. And there's a reason for that. This slave group, this oppressed group of people, needs to learn how to walk uprightly. They need to learn how to pick their eyes off of the ground and hold their head up. That's a hard thing to do. There's a lot of people that walk that way. They've been beat down their whole lives. They've been told they're nothing from the time they were born. Some of you may have experienced that kind of parenting or lack of parenting from boyfriends or girlfriends or whoever it was that was in your household, friends, family, uncles, whatever. I had a, a neighbor um, who told me a story about his childhood and how he grew up being called dummy. That was his nickname. Well, of course, the uncle thought it was hilarious just to call him, hey, dummy, come here, dummy. But that set in. He began to feel that way. And of course, it breaks your heart. Hearing stories like that breaks your heart to see some of the lack of parenting that goes on in this world. I, you almost don't want to leave your house. We went to the beach because <laughs> the pool's closed, so we went to the beach. We find a way to find water at the Dirk's household. 
We found the water. It's a little warm and stagnant out there, but we swam nonetheless. We got in. But the lack of parenting out there, was just terrifying to see that. I hadn't seen that in a long time. The yelling, the screaming, the kids crying, the pressure, the stress, the it's swimming. How can you ruin that? But they did. They found a way. And so those kids that I saw yesterday and my neighbor who grew up with the name, the nickname Dummy, had to learn eventually that they weren't those things, that those people's opinions of them didn't matter and that didn't define who they were. That's very important that we understand that. When a Christian comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, your eyes look up automatically because that's where God is, high and lifted up, but he is not looking down the way the rest of the world has looked down upon them or upon you. You now see a father who is showing you the kind of love that you've never experienced before, even from the best parents, even me, and I'm awesome. But the best, most pure love anybody's ever experienced before with a heart for you that no one has ever had for you, you now look into the eyes of that father and you begin to get your identity from him. And you realize, that's how, I've been, that's how I'm supposed to think of myself. So as God wipes out all these gods that have been oppressing them, wiping out the Egyptians, keeping these people safe, that's the way it should have been all the time. Constant protection, constant guarding, nurturing, loving. Yeah, some, you know, training along the way. But this is part of it. You guys need to know you're not who these guys say you are. You're who I say you are. You're loved with an everlasting love. And with a strong and mighty hand, your dad's going to stand up for you. And there's something about that. There's a struggle in this world to embrace that strength or that masculine side of God. It's offensive sometimes, it seems, to some. I don't understand that God of the Old Testament. He's so violent. He's so rough. It's not Jesus. No, it's the exact same God. And there's something nice about seeing that strong arm of your father come in and say, no more. Stop talking to my kid like that. Thank you. You know, there's something about that in my heart. And he's got to teach him that. The very people that sneered at them, that pulled their coats in close and said, don't touch me, you worthless shepherd, you Israelite, you Hebrew, you Jew, whatever they called them, to the point where they're going to be begging him, here, take my gold, take my silver. Just, just go. Your God is God. You got, And there's just a a royalty about the whole thing. Guys, this is a picture of what it means to come to Christ. You come to Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden you're a son of the Most High God. You're a daughter of the Most High God, and you're to be treated as such. There's power. There's an incredible amount of honor to be in that family. Not better than everybody else. You want everybody to be adopted in that family, but I no longer look at the ground I put my head up and I walk, knowing who my father is. We need to do that, especially today. Especially today. And Moses, he doesn't know what to do with all this. For 40 years, he's been walking around talking to sheep and goats. He comes back and even the Hebrews were kind of wondering, what are you doing, man? We don't even get straw now. But they're thinking differently now. Now they'll go back to bad-mouthing him behind his back. But for now, they look at him with honor. Verse 4, Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight, 
I will go out. You ever heard of the angel of death, right? It's about to be done. Look who's going out. I will go out, he says, in the midst of Egypt. And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill. And all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Please remember that. God sees a difference between those who are his and those who are not. Now, he wants them all to be his. Don't misunderstand me. Not one of these people has to die. Not one of their firstborn has to be in the midst of this. He's going to provide a way for every single person in that entire land to get out of this. But it is coming. Not even a dog's going to bark at Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. After that, I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. So he was saying that all in front of Pharaoh. Remember, he says, You're not going to see my face anymore. The next time I see your face, you're dead, was what Pharaoh said last week. Moses said, You're right. You're not going to see my face anymore. And so he's given him this, what do they call it, his, his monologue, you know? And this is it. There's something about this. It reminded me of the New Testament. Sometimes I try to make that connection because I know that these are pictures. But you remember when Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas, when they were imprisoned, maybe you don't know the story. That's fine. You don't have to know the story. Like I don't know the Bible that well. But Paul and Silas got put in prison. And they were put in the innermost prison. And in the midst of this prisonness, you know, this imprisonment, took me a while to find that word. they begin to sing praises to the Lord. With the rest of the inmates, they begin to listen, and it was ministering to them, obviously, in the prison guard, and then there's a big earthquake while they're singing, and all the doors open up, and the lights go out, and the guy in charge of the prison comes running in and, 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 and is sure that every prisoner is gone, and he begins to think about committing suicide because that is his honor. I've lost all of the prisoners, not just one which is worthy of death, but I've lost all of them. He's going to commit suicide. And Paul says, no, 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 don't do it. We're all here. This is really important because Paul and Silas were imprisoned by choice. They're imprisoned by God's choice. They were there on purpose to minister to those people. How do I get a jail full of guys saved? Well, how about some false imprisonment, Paul? You said your life was mine and I could do with it whatever I wanted to. A lot of us signed up for that, didn't probably think that through all the way. How about I unjustly accuse you, throw you in the middle of the prison, and maybe we can get all these guys saved? Of course, Paul, he could have told them that. Paul would be like, yeah, let's go for it. The rest of us would be like, ah, I think I'll take, I don't know, Haiti. Can I go to Haiti and do a short-term missions trip? Let's do a two-week missions trip where we build a house for somebody and then fly home, you know, kind of thing. They all get saved. It's important to know who's in charge. Always know who's in charge. God is always in charge. We say that all. God's still on the throne. I don't know that we know what that means when we say those things. Or when we buy the wooden plaque from the Christian local Christian store and put it up in our house. God's still on the throne. 
Okay. So, what does that mean? I get a little tired of platitudes sometimes. A little annoying. This is what it means. In Acts chapter 16, verse 35, And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let those men go, Paul and Silas, the falsely accused. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent you, sent you to let you go, and therefore depart and go in peace. He's so excited. Hey, you've been cleared of all charges. Paul, you love him, said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison, and now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Who's in charge? God's in charge. God's people are in charge. The ambassadors of the Lord are in charge. We're here with power. We have power. I'm not saying we're arrogant and prideful and we lord it over people or we walk around like we're better than everybody else. That's wrong. Moses was the meekest man in the word. That means power, but with humility. But don't ever forget that we have the power. We have the God of the universe on our side. I've got a lot of cross-references. You just have to bear with me because I get this question. How do you study the Bible? What do you do to study? Blueletterbible.com. Blueletterbible.com. The greatest website ever to be made. Blueletterbible.com. It is a wealth of information of good solid sound doctrine you don't have to i mean it is it's run by it's just the guys are amazing okay so you go to blueletterbible.com and if you want to do a word search do a word search you can i want to type in the word power all every scripture in the entire bible that has the word power in it and you read through them all and all of a sudden you get a sense oh Or I want to hear a teaching on Exodus chapter 11. Type it in. You've got 12 guys that have taught through that already, and you can listen to them or read it if it's been transcribed. It's an amazing resource, and you can do your studies that way. And within that transcribed resource, they'll have little circles with numbers on. You can click on those, and it'll give you the Greek. I mean, you can really get into some stuff if you wanted to. I don't go that far. I figure if I got to know Greek and Latin and Hebrew... No, thanks. I think God's word is plain and easy to understand. But, so I did a word search on power. So I'm not going to give you the 215 references that I found. You're welcome. Matthew chapter 8, verses 4 through 5. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now, when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Well, that's Jesus. You don't understand, or maybe you just haven't been taught. Jesus is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. His public ministry did not begin until he was baptized by John and the Holy Spirit fell upon him. And after that, all of a sudden, 
There it comes, signs, wonders, miracles. He was showing us, this is what it looks like to be a follower of my Father. And he began to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the deity of Jesus Christ, but in the man Jesus Christ, under the power of the Holy Spirit, began to do these things. That's important to know. You can't just say, well, that's Jesus. He can do those things. Matthew 10, verse 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. He just handed it out. Here's a taste, guys, of what it's going to be like after Acts chapter 1 and 2. But here's a taste of it while you're here on earth. While I'm still here, I haven't died, I haven't ascended, but while I'm still here, here's what it's going to be like. Now, Acts chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. Jesus has died. He's rose from the dead. He's having a conversation with the disciples who he's met with. He's about to ascend into heaven, and he said to them, verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he tells them, go to Jerusalem and don't leave till you get this power. In other words, you cannot tell people about Jesus Christ in your own strength. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. These guys are saved at this time. And now he's telling them, but don't do any public ministry until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You need that. Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, they just healed him by the power of the Holy Spirit, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's porch, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us? As though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. It's by that power, by his power that I do that. So don't ever get confused by when I say we need to walk in power by the Holy Spirit that we now can strut. Whenever he saw them, whenever they see them looking at them, no, 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 don't, don't look at us. Yes, it's really cool this guy's healed. And yes, we're as excited as you are. The power of God came, but it ain't us. He even, he even makes a point to say, why do you look at us like, like it's through our power or godliness? That's an interesting word to throw in there, godliness. We don't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and able to do the things of the power of the Holy Spirit or let the Holy Spirit move because we're godly or we're better. It's not by our godliness. Well, the Holy Spirit could move through you more if you were more this or if you were more that, if you were more godly or godlike. No, he just kind of does it when he wants to do it. It's up to him. He's the giver of gifts. He's in charge of all these things. He, he can take it, and he can give it. He can do what he wants to do with it. It's up to him. We just have to be willing and available to be used by God. So he says, don't. Now, rapid fire. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Continuing, continuing power in the church, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Stephen accused of blasphemy, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great signs and wonders among the people. Acts chapter 8, verse 10. 
to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. Acts chapter 8, verse 19, saying, give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. That guy got chewed out for doing that. Acts chapter 10, verses 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who sanctified by faith in me. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1, 7. This is where we find ourselves today. I've quoted this a lot in the last few days, last few teachings. So we've got, God wants to give power. He did give power. It says, but know this that in the last days, perilous times will come. And he goes through a list of all those things, and I'm not going to take the time to do that. But he gets down uh, to verse 5. He says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. It's a very dangerous place for the church to be in, or for a Christian. And the the church is made up of Christians. Don't ever point your finger. The church needs to do more. No, no, we're the church. There's no organizational, there's no secret meeting in you know, Columbia, Missouri, where all the, the church leaders live, you know. No, you're the church. I'm the church. And so when the church isn't doing something, that means I'm not doing something because I'm the church. But in the last days, they're going to have a form of godliness, but they're going to deny its power. They just have a form of it. There's an appearance of it. Yeah, I got the wood plaque in my house. I don't know what it means. But I bought it, and I thought maybe it'd ward off evil spirits or something, you know, like a talisman. No, God has given us power, and it says this, of all those people in the last days that have a form of godliness but deny its power, and from such people turn away, he tells this young Pastor Timothy, turn away from those guys. It's fake, it's false. God wants us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. God shows them this right off the bat. When you are about to be taken out of the world to Egypt and you trust me, you're going to go out with such power. It's going to be amazing. Verse 9, But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his, hand, out of his land. That's the synopsis. Verse 1, chapter 12. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginnings of months for you. It shall be the first month of the year to you. It's the birth of a nation. You came in as 70. You're coming out millions, 1.5 million to 3 million people. You're coming out as a nation. This is going to be the the birth of a nation. Everything starts now, all over. This is day one. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we are born-again believers, that's day one of your life. Day one. That's your birthday. That's your spiritual birthday. I'm born again. None of that other stuff mattered. It's day one, the first month, the first day of my year. Here I am, I'm walking with God. All things are old. All things are new before me. Here's some of the scriptures. These are some of the new things that happen in a believer's life once they become saved. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing 
of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. We get a new mind. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, a prophecy about this moment. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Being born again, it's it's radical. Being born again is a a moment in time you can't forget. This is my 31st year, July. 31 years being a born-again believer now. Everything changed that night. Now, I was not perfected that night. I had not attained yet, even to this day. But that was the moment when I broke and I realized I have a relationship with the true and living God. Everything was new. I saw the world completely differently. I was a follower. I was a believer. I was a disciple. I don't know what words to use. All I know is I was a, it's a day I'll never forget. You've got to be born again. Otherwise, you don't understand. You could be someone like Nicodemus who walks in and out of churches your entire life. Nicodemus was a religious ruler of the right day, and he comes up to Jesus in the middle of the night and goes, I don't understand what's happening. He says, Nick, you're not going to understand until you're born again. You're born of the flesh. You're going to be born of the spirit. He goes, how can a guy enter his mom's womb again? This is what I'm talking about, Nick. You don't understand what I'm talking about. You've got to be born again. Puts you in a funny place, doesn't it? Okay, so I've got to be born again to understand the things of the spirit, but I don't understand what you're talking about being born again because I'm not born again. So how do I get this born again, born again, so I can understand being born again? You've got to ask. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I just told you right now what God's word says. You must be born again. Therefore, your next question to God should be, please, God, I want to be born again. And he'll do it. It's by faith. He said it. Now you have to believe it and apply it. But it's up to you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You guys are worried about my notes. That's the end of my notes. So now we're going to cruise. All right. Because what we witness next is just the layout of what it means to be a believer. There you are in the world, Egypt. You're oppressed. You've been beaten down. You've finally had enough of it, and you've cried out to God, and he has sent a deliverer to you, Moses, Jesus, who's going to come. He's going to tell you the way of salvation. Here's how you go about Follow me, but first we have to show the world who has the strength and the power to do so. And then we have. Now with these, all these other gods defeated, you have no one to put your hope in but the deliverer himself. So, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him take his neighbor, or he, him and his neighbor, Next to his house, take it according to the number of the persons. Now, you, know, if, you know, to gorge yourself, if you want to split a lamb, you can split a lamb. Whatever happens, it needs to be eaten by the time 
morning comes and anything left over needs to be burnt, which we'll get to in a minute. But he's just laying it out for him. You got to have a lamb. Why a lamb? I don't know. Because he said so. Remember what John the Baptist said to Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God, it takes away the sin of the world. We're, we're witnessing that right here. So let's describe this Lamb, this foreshadowing of Jesus. And if the household is too small, I said that already. Okay. Your Lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day. So you keep this lamb, bring him into your house for two weeks. There's a reason for that. It's to have an emotional attachment to this animal. And this is the hard part. You know. I, I, I can't imagine doing that to my kids, bringing in a lamb. You get to feed him today, honey. You know, I don't mean to make a joke out of this, but... I mean, you see where God's going with this. It doesn't do any good to hate the lamb, to kick the lamb, to see the lamb as a bunch of other lambs. There has to be an understanding that this lamb you love. And you understand that when this lamb is about to be slaughtered, you're eating that lamb that you love. It needs to be a bitter meal. It, it isn't a feast. Oh, boy, I just love grilling lamb. It has to be heartbreaking. It has to be heart-wrenching. It has to get to the place, I can't believe I'm doing this. An emotional attachment has to be made with the house and this lamb. Nobody likes it when their pet dies. Nobody. I don't care who you are. Old farmer and you got a bunch of cattle and you got, but you got that dog that hops in the pickup every day with you or whatever it may be and finally it happens and it just breaks you. You don't let anybody know it, maybe, but you go out and you put your dog in the ground and it breaks you. And you're not supposed to feel this way about animals. It's just a dumb animal, but you do. That's the idea. The relationship has to be built. You have to understand the trust, the innocence. But through no fault of its own, it has to die because of what I need. Deliverance. So keep it till the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, all of them at the same time. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house or the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist and sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. They will do this every single year until, well, 2,000 years later, when Jesus comes. Then the temple gets destroyed, and they're no longer able to do these things anymore, and... That's the end of it. So there is no way to have this moment right now, this Passover. Verse 12, for I will pass through the land. There it is again. God is the one in charge of this firstborn dying of Egypt on that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. 
Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the house or in the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. In other words, the judgment is coming. I am the judge and the executioner, and the only way to avoid me from coming into your house is for me to see the blood applied to the doorposts on your heart. In other words, you have to know that you need this and you need to do this. How does it work? Well, it doesn't matter. God says, if I see it, then I don't come in. In John chapter 3, Jesus explains that. Just like the serpent, when Moses lifted it up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And everybody that looked at the snake got healed, and everybody that looks at me will be healed. I don't know how it works. All I know is that's the way of provision. There are no other... Nobody sat there that night and said, well, I don't want to do a lamb. What about a cat? Can I do a cat? No, I said a lamb. So many people. What's wrong with just doing it the way God said so? Because I don't like being told what to do, our rebellious nature says. There is one way to get to heaven. No man comes to the Father but by Jesus. No one can get there but by the Son. Well, I don't like that. It's too narrow. I want to find a different way. Well, there is no other way. So it's, it's him or the highway. Well, so do this. Put this blood on there. So they kill this lamb. The whole house is dark. It's a somber moment. The lamb's sitting there, and now they're all waiting to see if it works, because you know that's how it is. Is this going to work? Is this going to work? Just like the movie, maybe you saw it, you know, the Ten Commandments, but the Mist, whatever it looked like, came through, and all of a sudden you begin to hear the cries of the mothers finding their firstborn dead, who didn't do this, who didn't apply it. Oh, man. Blood-curdling screams throughout the entire nation. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. He wants them to remember this. You shall keep it as a feast by an... Everlasting ordinance. Seven days shall you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. No sin. Leaven represents sin. Remove it from the house. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat that only may be prepared by you. That's the only job you do. Make sure you prepare for that. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this same day, I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your house, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. In other words, both can participate. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Got it. <laughs> Driving that point home. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves, according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, 
dip it in blood that is on in the ba- that is in the basin and strike the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning you got to trust you got to trust some people t- teach that uh, once saved always saved you know? well you got an opportunity here to apply this blood to the doorposts of your home to go inside and to eventually maybe step out No, you need to stay behind the door. Behind the door is protection. Outside of the door, mm mm-mm. The Bible teaches abiding faith. It doesn't teach anything other than that. Abiding faith. You abide in the vine. As long as you abide in the vine, you're there. But if you choose to not abide in the vine, that's up to you. Stay behind the door. How do I know if I'm still saved? Are you behind the door? Are you there? you're here. That's a good sign, right? A person who is outside of the door, this is a question, I get the, how do I know? Well, if you care, you're there. If you're outside the door and you've left Christ, you don't care about whether you're there or not. Okay? So if you're worried about it, good sign. You need to stay there in that place of obedience. I trust in Jesus. So he calls all the elders, tells them what they need to do. Don't leave until morning. For the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts. The Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. You shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. Even when you're there, I want you to do this. Keep this. Remind yourself of this. That's why we do communion, if you didn't know. It's like a mini Passover thing. You have the bread and the juice, and when Jesus was having that Passover meal, understand what took place. 2,000 years from this moment right here, the day that all the lambs are being brought into Jerusalem, Jesus is riding on the donkey in at the exact same time the sheep are coming in the sheep gate to be inspected by all the Israeli leaders because of this moment right here. So all the priests are looking at everybody's family lamb to make sure there's no spot or blemish. And meanwhile, Jesus is coming in on a donkey through the other gate. And that whole week, while the priests are examining those lambs to make sure they're acceptable sacrifices, Jesus is being examined that entire week. By the time that week's over, the priests have all declared these lambs are all good, they're going to work, and Pontius Pilate looks upon Jesus and says, I find no fault in this man. He's faultless. There's no sin. There's no blemish. He'll be the acceptable sacrifice. Why do you want to kill him? He's innocent. Crucify him. It has to be. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? In other words, why do we do the Passover? To teach your kids. To pass it on to them. To let them know what a great moment that is. Here's why we do it. You shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass at midnight, 
that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. Finally, right? It doesn't last long, though. Even at this point. Eventually he tries to catch up with them at the Red Sea. It doesn't last long. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. I'm just going to kill our firstborn. We're all going to go. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. This is back pay. 430 years of slave labor, you're finally getting your check. you know, And a pension from great-great-grandpa, and so on. They're walking out not as thieves, but as kings. They're getting all their money that they've all been owed this entire time when they walk out. This has to be mind-blowing for someone like that, you know? Sometimes you go to a poor country outside of the United States and you hand them a $5 bill and they look at you like, what am I supposed to do with this? I mean, normally a dollar or 50 cents or a quarter or a piece of candy, five bucks, a hundred bucks. What in the world? We, I didn't understand that. It's, it was probably rude and a foolish thing, but I guess I lay my heart open before everybody every time I'm up here. But we were in Costa Rica, and we were on our way up the side of the hill on the mountain and going to baptize two of the guys we've been working on a house with. He finally came to know the Lord. And uh, we went up this hill, and we were going to baptize him. And on the way up this mountainous road, we saw this woman walking up this road. I mean, there, wasn't, there was a town at the bottom, and there was a town at the top of this mountain, nothing in between. And she was about halfway walking. And I asked, I was like, man, that's a long walk. He goes, yeah, twice a day, up and down. Of course, Mr. Moneybags, we got a bunch, we're missionaries, we got a bunch of money in our pockets, and I stopped, and I, I got out, and I said, stop, 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 and gave her 100 bucks, and she just looked at me like, what are you doing? God bless you, you know, I just, I just felt like, man, I mean, lightning needs to strike right now, God, help this, I mean, what a horrible, God, I can't imagine, I'm lazy, you know, that's all I felt inside, I didn't know what to do, so I gave her 100 bucks, and the, and the, the guys in the car looked at me, the, the guys we were driving with, like, that was probably an annual wage for her or at least a month or so. I don't know what they said, a month or an annual. I'm like, really? Wow. All that to say is I'm a great guy. No. <laughs> I had to lighten the mood a little bit. We've got a lot of dead people here. Um, God's trying to show them something. These people probably had the same expression maybe. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you're just going to let us go with all your stuff. Get out of here. I mean, Wow. Rich. It's unbelievable. When God saves, he saves to the uttermost. Now, when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I don't know that that'll happen to you. It probably won't. 
those guys that teach that stuff, health and wealth, it's not biblical. But the, but the wealth we get, um, as I get older, I realize how important peace is. Just peace in my heart. Laying my head down with a clean conscience is, I mean, insomnia is, a lot of it's me, you know? I can't sleep. Why? Well, because I'm a creep, you know? I did creepy things today. I can't stop thinking about all the creepy things I did in the wake of destruction I've left in my life. And I, I need forgiveness, you know? And when I get that, I'm like, oh, it's the softest pillow I've ever had in my life. It's the same one I've had for, I probably should replace it. Something about that. There's a wealth in forgiveness. There's a wealth when that burden of all my guilt and shame is laid there, and I don't have to carry that anymore. I don't have to think those things about myself or about other people. I can walk in the newness that we just talked about, a new mind, a new heart, a new reason to live. Oh, my goodness. It's like a breath finally entered me, you know? That's what being born again is. That's a great way to put it. It's like being breathed into by God. It's like my first breath. Oh, it's amazing. These guys are experiencing that right now. Walking out with all that stuff. So they called them and they get all this stuff. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians and they plundered the Egyptians. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot. That's just the men. There's women. So that were 100 or what, a million two now. Then the children and a mixed multitude went up with them also in flocks and herds. So they brought all the animals, but then there's Ethiopians. I mean, Moses marries an Ethiopian and, and so on. There's a lot of people coming out, a mixed multitude. And they baked unleavened cakes of the, of the dough, which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. And yes, we could do an entire study on leaven and unleavened, but we don't have time tonight. Oh, we don't have time now. I better hurry up. Now the sojourners, you're like, let's go, buddy. Now the sojourners of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. So that's how long they were there, obviously. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on the very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And remember, that's what he's building, a people group, a nation, teaching them how to not be slaves, but a group of people, you know, an army. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. Uh, this is that night of the Lord, uh, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. Now, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. You've got to be circumcised. And of course, that, remember, uh, that uh, is a cutting away of the flesh. You leave the flesh and you proclaim that you are God's. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. You can see John chapter 19, verse 33 and 36. None of Jesus' bones were broken, although the thieves on the other side of them were broken. His didn't need to be. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land. No, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native-born and for the stranger who dwells among you. There's no distinction between an Israeli or a non-Israeli. You have to have the same relationship with God in order to observe this. 
Thus all the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. Good job. Only seven minutes passed. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. We thank you for this beautiful picture of what your son did for us. Tonight, Lord, we want to receive you as our Lord and Savior if we haven't already. We felt that tug on our heart. We kind of wonder, maybe I've been churched my whole life. Maybe I've not born again, but I want to be. And I know that I, I need that breath from you, that breath of life. So, Lord, we'll start off with that. Jesus, we want to be born again. We want to be born of the Spirit, not just born of the flesh, not just churched. But we want to have a personal relationship with you, Lord. We want to be born again. We want to be yours. We give you our lives. We know that you died on the cross for our specific sins. And we know that we're forgiven because of what you did. We don't know how it works necessarily, but we know that you said it works. That if we look upon the Son, if we believe on the Son whom you sent, we'll be saved. What is the work of God that we must do to be saved? Believe on him whom he sent. And we do so this morning, or this evening, God. We trust you for that. Now, for all of us in this room, Lord, we need to be baptized of the Spirit. We need power from on high to be able to minister, especially in these days. We should have no fear because perfect love casts out all fear. We should know where we stand with you. We should, have, we should have the words given to us by your Holy Spirit when the time is right. When you lay out an opportunity for us to share the reason for the hope which lies within us, God, we need to be filled with the Spirit so that we can share, like Peter did, that people might get saved because it's by your power that people get saved. So, God, we pray for that. Baptize us with your Holy Spirit afresh, Lord. Fall upon us. Give us every gift, everything we need to make sure that your word is understood. If it needs to be healing, we want healing so that people know that the word of God is true and they can believe it and trust it. Lord, if it's just any other gift, I don't know what they are, any of them, prophecy, helps, um, all of those things, God, we need those. So we can share that with other people and they can know that your word is true. And more importantly than all that, Lord, is we need the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, we need that patience, long-suffering, peace, kindness, gentleness. All those things, Lord, we need from you. This world desperately needs all of that fruit right now. And we're the only people out there that can give it. And so we need that. So Lord, bless us as we go today. Lord, we pray that we'd have lots of opportunities this week. Help us to keep our eyes wide open for those that might ask and may need hope. Help us to be bold and to share you with them, Lord. Help us to tell them about your son, Jesus. Bless these folks as they go tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for hanging in there, guys. You did good.